Hello, hello, everyone. My name is John Edwards, and I am back here by myself. It is a dad drinking bourbon episode with Charlie and Andy Nelson from Nelson's Green Prior Distillery. If you listened to the first episode, or if you haven't listened to the first episode, you should go back and listen to it. It's a lot about the history of how the distillery came to be, everything that happened in their family to get them to where they are now. But I'm sitting here in the conference room of Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery with the guys, and I can smell the still. They are cleaning it out after a run today, and it smells amazing. We have everybody in Nashville loves these guys. We have a fully signed Titans jersey, a fully signed Preds jersey, and a fully signed Sounds jersey up here. This room is pretty impressive. This distillery is pretty impressive. And these two gentlemen are pretty impressive. Thank you for spending some more time with me, guys. Hey, thank you for having us again. Yeah, absolutely. I can't get over that smell. There. <laughs> see, I love it too, but I'm nose blind to it at this point. Are so, you? like, I know that they're doing it because I can see them and I just ran out there. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's unless I'm, like, right up next to it. But it's just one of those things where... It's unfortunate, but my I, favorite is uh, walking back in the barrel warehouse and getting just sniffing on some of the barrels over there. There's a bourbon ball place out of Kentucky, and it doesn't taste like bourbon. It tastes like that smell in a warehouse. Huh. Yeah, <laughs> it's like art. Oh, art, art eatables. Yeah, yeah, in Louisville, right? Yeah, downtown. Yeah, I've been there. Uh, yeah, their stuff is great. Their bourbon balls were made out of Willet, or so, or maybe you could buy they, it. Yeah, on they the do. Website. They do it with uh, all kinds of different brands, and it tasted like uh, it tasted like a warehouse. It didn't taste like the bourbon. It was so good. It's killer. Um, long story short, this is going to be kind of one of those episodes where we get a little bit dorky. We talk about those smells and we talk about uh, everything that you guys have from a whiskey point of view. We might drink some whiskey here. We talked about the history last episode. Now you started getting on it, Andy, on the finishes and, and the sherry was your first finish. But if you think about everything you guys have done, you have the straight Bellmead bourbon, the single barrel Bellmead bourbon. You have a sherry finish Bellmead bourbon, cognac, Madeira, and the Black Bell. The Black Bell was a one-time gift shop release. On the Nelson's brand, you have the 108 Limited, the 108 Single Barrel, which you can both get in the, the gift shop, and then the Greenbrier Tennessee White Whiskey. It's a lot of stuff, as you were talking about getting the brand up and running. That's a lot of stuff to have you know, in your repertoire. Is that a little bit going after your great-great-great-grandfather having the 30 different products in the line? Well, partially. I mean, it, when you say I'm all kind of like right one after the other, yeah, it does seem like a lot. Uh, and, you know, even when you go into our gift shop, you can see the vari variations of all the different products that we've got. So it and makes that's it not a bad thing. Oh, uh, no, not at all. I, but you're right. I mean, part of our, it, we kind of want to kind of toe that fine line between, uh, you know, Charles Nelson, our triple great grandfather had kind of one thing that was important to him was do one thing and do it well, which there's a lot of value in that. The other thing is, he also produced, I think Charlie mentioned this in the previous episode, about 30 different labels. And so we kind of want to walk that line between doing doing things very well, but also being able to slowly grow our portfolio. And so, so yeah, I mean, the, the white whiskey, you know, well, the Bellmeads, all the variations of those were, you know, our first things. And, and the sherry cask finish was our, you know, we came out with the classic and then the sherry cask finish and then the single barrel 
And then after that, we added the cognac cask finish and the Madeira. And so it's the order of them is all just kind of an evolution of where our, our head is at, you know, in terms of what we're producing. And then, of course, when we got our own, you know, still up and running, we released the white whiskey. And honestly, we only, you know, we only sell that in the 375 milliliter bottles and only here at the distillery. And a lot of that is is more of an educational piece to show people, you know, here's what it's like off the still. And of course, it's at 91 proof. So it's not straight off the still uncut. Uh, but we cut it to 91 proof so that it, when our, our aged whiskey comes out, which, uh, you know, of course, now the 108 has come out, kind of showing people uh, one next to the other. Here's right off the still and here's after a barrel, barrel aging for a couple of years and kind of just showing people this is what the barrel really does to it in both color and flavor. So And good for cocktails, too. Mm-hmm. That, that new make, I really think, can can add to a cocktail if you don't want to use some of the whiskey you might be accustomed to drinking in a different way uh, having some new make in there can really spice up a cocktail a little bit you brought up the sherry was your first one a lot of people i find go for a port in the wine finished whiskey first what brought sherry to you saying that's the thing we should go with first we considered uh, a port finish because exactly what you're saying that it's you know it was it was a bit perhaps more common although not a lot of cask finishing was was all that common at the point that we started the sherry cask finish uh and the sherry cask was an oloroso cask you know we tried it out we just thought it worked great uh and it was one of those things where we got very lucky you know in some ways but it was just maybe one of those serendipitous moments where we're like that let's not try to overdo this let's try this first see how it goes and and you know and it's come out as it has and it's just i i love it it's this this magical sort of uh mixture of the the whiskey that forms so well with the the kind of creamy sherry nutty vanilla you know after taste the finish of that uh of the sherry cast and i think that's something you guys over the past year at least for me you have this reputation for really really good finishing and then the the really really good single barrels obviously finishing is a skill right so mm-hmm. how have you honed that as you've gone through what have you really found is the trick to getting that good finish is it finding the good barrels is it the way that you actually store them how you actually put everything in What's the what's the science behind it? Well, it's a, a little bit of all that. Of course, you know, as with anything, you got to have the right ingredients, um, or else it's just not going to end up as good as you want it. Uh, and so, getting the right barrels is one thing, you know, and it, and then it's just taking care in what you do and making sure that you check it every now and then to make sure it's coming along as it as it should be. And so, all of the whiskey business is kind of a long term thing, and there, you know, nothing just happens instantly. And so. Part of it, you know, there is a bit of trial and error in it. We try to make sure that we source the finishing casks the right way so that it's it's hard to go wrong with them. And so that's kind of a trick in itself. But knowing that, you know, we taste, say, the first of this batch and then we say, okay, this is good. This is great. This is what we'd like to improve on next time. One of the things that we have kind of mixed up over the years is the proof at which we put the whiskey back into those finishing casks and kind of cut it down to a little bit uh, lower proof so that it picks up more of the essence of those casks as it finishes. Because we only do the finishing for, depending on the usage of that that finishing cask, you know, anywhere between two and six months. And so, of course, that depends. Generally, first use of that cask is closer to the two months. And then second use is 
three or four and then third use a little more. And so, it, you know, just one of those things. But it's a lot of it is trial and error, but just making sure that you're conscious and taking care of it. Um, as with anything, I mean, you're, you're cooking a kitchen. You don't want to just kind of put something on autopilot and hope it turns out all right at the end. You got to, you know, keep a careful eye to it. No, that makes sense. I mean, I think it's it's one of those things where you might find something in one run that really helps you on another one, but didn't help you on the run that you were on. So I, right. I understand that a lot of it is the scientific method, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about the finishing cast, and we probably talked about finishing a little too soon. We know that those casts that you get to finish, they might rest in there for a few months. They had a previous liquid in there before, whether it's a wine or a stout. But let's take it back to the the birth of the bourbon itself. And we know that that doesn't happen here. It happens at a a source contract distillery with the exception of your Nelson's line, which is being born every day. I just saw one go through charcoal finishing out there. But let's go back to when you actually assume those barrels from the contract distillery. How early in the process do you get to do that? When does it actually come live here in Tennessee is more what I'm getting at. So um, there's kind of a, a multi-part answer to that. And uh, we, it, we've we kind of evolved as, as the company has grown and as we've taken on more space and everything like that. But initially, the first few barrels that we bought um, you know, they were aged for, they were already a few years old when we bought them and they continued to age until we bottled them. And, you know, the classic Bell Mead is, you know, generally six to eight year old bourbon that is mingled together. We went from sourcing barrels that were a few years old to doing some sourcing and some contract distillation where we would say hey you guys make this and this and that and we would also have an agreement in place for the warehousing of those barrels and now we do just contract production for Bellmead where we say hey make this and store it in your warehouses and we'll pay you basically rent in in your warehouses until we get our final permits and we can actually take everything in um, in our own barrel warehouses. So a lot of it's just a space issue. Yeah. yeah if we're getting down to the, the nuts. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a major thing. And we, we actually just took over uh, a space adjacent to us for more barrel warehousing. But, uh, you know, the goal is to, to bring a lot of that down. Uh, from those that warehouse space that we're renting, bring it into our own space. But along with the production that we're putting through, you know, the barrels that we're filling here on site, that you know, it, warehouse space just fills up so quickly, and it's a you know, it's a an issue within itself. And with the new distillery that we're planning on building before too long, one of the first things that we'll do in all likelihood will be to build a big barrel warehouse. That's got to be like the first thing, right? Yeah. That and the still. <laughs> yeah. If you got those two things, everything else will kind of yeah. fall into place. I think the other thing I would ask is those barrels that you have up there, 
how involved are you at this point? I think you were telling me before that they used to come down and bring you samples to your house. How involved are you in the process there now, or is it so dialed in after having years there that you give them the recipe and, and you pretty much know that's what you're going to get from them? To start out with, with barrels that will say we buy them and they've already got some age to them. One thing that we, we won't usually do is buy a lot of barrels that we haven't had at least one or two samples of. So, you know, pull a barrel sample, send it to us and say, this is what we've got available. And we'll, you know, either say yes or no. As far as the new make that we contract out, what we'll do is have them take some off the still or right out of a barrel or right before they put it in a barrel and say, here, here's what you've got. This is your stuff. Now it's going to go in a barrel. Here's the new make. And then, you know, we can also request at any point, hey, can you take a, a sample of barrels A, B, and C, send it to us? What's the age? Where does that sit in the warehouse? You know, any any kind of stuff like that. That's just kind of part and parcel of, of our contract or, or deal with them that says, you know, we want you to make this stuff for us, but we own it. So help us out here. I think throughout that whole thing, right, as you guys are growing as a company, the CEO of Ford is not out there on the plant actually building cars at a certain point. There was one part where Henry Ford did make the Model T, but <laughs> eventually he then had to let that go to the production line. Yeah, I could only imagine good. for you guys that you were very, very involved and probably tasting everything. Now you guys are so big that if you were tasting everything, you'd be drunk all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's an important thing. and I, You're that, saying we're not? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's why it's so important um, <laughs> because look how eloquent we are and look how drunk we are. <laughs> it's, I mean, that, it is something that I think about a lot is because as we have grown and, you know, we're still not like a huge distillery or anything like that. But as we have grown, you know, I my position had distiller and, you know, over the production and operations. And so from the very beginning, you know, it was me and, and Goodlow, our production manager, and it was just the two of us for you know, almost an entire year, uh, just I the was two here of us. Too. Well, yeah, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and as we grow and, and get more people to kind of help do the work, it, uh, you know, one person that I think is a, a very important piece of advice that I was given that frankly just took a lot of weight off my shoulders, just hearing this advice was, you know, I'd, I'd stress out so bad about like, Oh, I've got to do this and I got to be out on the floor and also deal with the business development stuff and some of the sales and, and everything, you know, cause Charlie and I, we do, we do a little bit of everything. I'd feel guilty if we didn't. One piece of advice that this guy gave me who's very, you know, knowledgeable and, and very experienced in the business world. And he said, look, you, when you're growing a business, you want to grow it. You want to hire people with the goal to make yourself unnecessary, if that makes sense, so that the business can run without you. If you have to go out of town for a week or a month, then it can still run without you. And that you know, I think that's very, very valid. It's very important. And it took a lot of stress off of my shoulders. On the other side of that, I don't want it to be running without me for a week or a month. I want to be out there doing stuff and making sure that it's running truly the way that it needs to be, you know, in my mind. And so, um, did that even answer the question? I've now forgotten it. No, I mean, <laughs> at this point, hell, I think it did. <laughs> no, I it did. It did. Well, well actually, so I mean it was really kind of going to the fact that your involvement and you were getting to it not to not to interview you for you, but um 
you were getting to it. As you move on, there are things that you probably did a lot more of that you have to kind of pass the baton so that you can focus on other things. And I think that's what you were getting at is you're not the biggest distillery in the world, but you're not the smallest distillery in the world either. If you think about what quote unquote craft distilleries are like, not everyone is like, you know, Nelson's Greenbrier. So where was you and Goodloe to start? And Charlie was there. Who knows what he was doing, but he was there. Now you're at the point where you probably kind of have to, to share that burden and, and give mm-hmm. it to some other people and have them come report to you. And you guys are more the quote unquote bosses. So there has to be a little bit of a, a change in the dynamic on that too, right? Like, and just in sitting here and talking to these two gentlemen, and I will talk about stray observations later, but. You know, one wears his watch on the left hand, the other wears his watch on the right hand. So they're, these are two different type of people here <laughs> yeah, yeah. that just happen to be brothers. And, and one is definitely more analytical and the other is probably more idealistic. And, and uh, when you're going with that, that dynamic, it probably has served you both well in the business capacity too because – you're coming at every problem from different sides and you each have your own specialties that, that you're probably good at. That being said, how has it been in transitioning to being the quote unquote boss? Yeah. Well, to, well, to go back real, real quick, just in, in terms of specifics, because what I said before is kind of more anecdotal evidence of just, you know, how things have grown, but there are certain things that I, I do not want to give up. And it's not a matter of a power struggle or anything. It's just simply a matter of if Charlie and I have our name on the bottle, then I want to be damn sure that I'm tasting this stuff and making sure that the, the quality is what it ought to be because it's not, you know, any random production guy's name on the bottle. It's, it's, Charlie's and mine. And so, so there are things that while some of it can be kind of taken over by folks that we train, which by the way is another very important issue is, is training people the proper way to do things the way that you think they need to be done. But there are still things that I need to do tasting uh, the single barrels, tasting the final sort of minglings of, of different uh, barrels and, and the finishes of each product, etc. So that's kind of a, one of the important things, but in terms of Charlie and I, I mean, you nailed it. Charlie and I are, are kind of opposites in terms of personality, but we do fit together really well. I mean, I, I'm assuming you were uh, referring to me as the more kind of analytical and, and Charlie is the other. I mean, we... No, I, that's not what I got at all. No? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you guys are different, but we... But it's almost like yin and yang, right? Yeah. And it works really well because we, you know, we're 16 months apart. We grew up, I mean, we shared bunk beds as kids. We know each other very well, but we're also, neither of us have a a real uh, sort of negative, you know, we're not vindictive or anything like that. And so we understand that it's, it's to everybody's advantage to work together. And I, you know, I know I've talked to people. um, There's one guy in particular, I don't even honestly remember who it was, but he said, man, I'm so jealous of you guys because I tried to go into business with my brother and it didn't work out. Now we don't even talk to to each other anymore. And that, you know, it's just such a bummer. And so we're very fortunate that we work together well enough and we can, we can kind of take each other's word, you know, with a grain of salt if needed and understand that like, we almost never agree on anything, but we understand 
each other's kind of position and we know it's like, well, it's kind of his job to see it this way and mine to see it that. And, you know, often come together to, to create a really good compromise. And so it's just, it's very fortunate. And there's, there's something kind of special about that. I'm going to let you finish, but this black bell is <laughs> let's drink. I just Kanye you, <laughs> man. I, we poured something while we were talking during the, the, last kind of break and I've been sitting here staring at it and I realized I just need to go ahead and have this. This Black Bell, and this was a partnership you guys did with Blackstone, which happens to be right down the street. Mm -hmm. This is a stout finished cast strength. I think it's around, it's over 110, but not over 120. 111.5 proof. Yeah, it's so good. This was a limited run that you guys had in the, the distillery. It was a gift shop release only. Oh, this is good. What are your plans with this, by the way? We're jumping around a lot, but will there be another Black Bell? Are there any other partnerships with local distilleries? So this this was something that, um, you know, we, just to back up a little bit, the way that it started was every year we send some barrels over to Blackstone to age their Black Bell beer in. And... They've been so good. The beer has... I love the beer. It's just delicious. And so if if you haven't tried that out, you definitely should. For a while, Kent at Blackstone has been saying to us, you know, hey, what do you guys think about distilling some of that beer? And what do you guys think about aging some bourbon in the barrels after we give them back to you? And just trying to do something. And so... We tried distilling some of the beer. It just wasn't very good. Um, it was pretty funky and not in a great way. And then so we, we took, you know, and finished some bourbon in the Black Bell barrel. And it was almost like we almost even forgot about it until a group was in here selecting a single barrel. And they were like, hey, what's in that barrel over there? And Oh yeah, it's finishing a Blackstone Imperial Stout Black Belt barrel. Can we try it? Yeah, sure. Here's a taste. And I'm like, man, this is really good. So anyway, all that to say, um, we love it, and it turns out a lot of people really like it. And we're gonna do a little bit more. You know, we're we're not gonna do a ton more, but we'll do a couple more barrels, and uh, I'd I'd look for that. We'll probably announce the release of it, you know, just like a day or two before um, we release it. But it'll probably be, you know, holidays this year and most likely just here at the distillery. Now that we're friends, I don't want to beg on the air, but I'm I'm begging because it will (laughs) be forever there. I will have the tape. You guys are going to let me know. Right. (laughs) The the thing I think I love about the Black Bell and and getting into we are whiskey dorks first and foremost. The smoothness of the 111 proof, and I think that is the most evident when when you first taste it. I'm not getting any burn. I'm not getting anything, any hint of that 111 proof. It is so sweet on the nose. It's almost like candy. And then the stout doesn't hit you until the finish. And it really just resonates. It's one of the longest finishes, I think, for a finished bourbon I've ever had. 
and that stout just lingers, and you know it's there. Yeah, and I, I think that that's there's a uh, nice hint of like cocoa or chocolate in there at the end, and I think that's because the beer itself uh, was actually infused with cocoa nibs as well, just in in the actual brewing process, uh, and so that definitely plays a part in that. But yeah, you're right; it's just it sits there with you forever. And and going back to what I was saying before about you know me wanting to make sure that what we put in the bottle is. Uh, worthy of having my name on it in my own opinion is you know i want to make sure that we're not just putting a a really sharp or tough tough barrel of whiskey or finished product or whatever it may be in the bottle i want to make sure yeah this despite it being 111 and a half proof it it doesn't taste that way if you're tasting it blind and that to me is the hallmark of a really good you know say a single barrel or a, a cask finished product the final product being um, easy enough to drink on its own without having to cut with water or whatever is uh, is very important to me, and so that's something that I I really like being able to do in terms of final product. And I have a hard time cutting things with water anyway, but I will say we have a firm philosophy: whatever you want to do to drink it, however it tastes good to you, you want a big ice cube in there, go ahead and put a big ice cube in there. I just prefer. I know science has come out and said you should put a dash of water in there. Maybe it's laziness, and maybe it's just yeah, I love neat, probably because I don't want to have to go and get a measuring dropper out there and put a, a drop of water in there. I don't <laughs> want to put too much in there yeah. that I, I don't enjoy it. I'm a dad. I'm lazy. I don't it's, have a lot of time. Well, you know, yeah, and the other thing is science, regardless of, of how, you know, whatever you, you may attribute or value science, of course, everyone should value science to some extent. <laughs> But at the end of the day, science can't account for your individual taste profile. I mean, even things like sense memory is so important in tasting a whiskey, you know, particularly with the nose of something that it's like your your senses, your your aromas, um, you know, olfactory senses, your, your flavors that you pick up are so tied to your individual experience that, yeah, science may say it's better this way, but you you can disagree with that. And the fact is there are no wrong answers. And that's, to me, one of the really, really important things is knowing that no matter how inexperienced you are at drinking or tasting whiskey, uh, whether you like it or not, you're not wrong. You know, Kind of the way that Zeke and I work with each other because we don't agree on anything. Um, <laughs> and I think our kind of position is neither one of us is right, neither one of us is wrong you're going to find whether or not you and and I've told you I told you guys when we weren't recording the black bell wasn't Zeke's jam but it was my jam but that being said it's you're either going to identify with my palate or you're going to identify with Zeke's palate or you're going to identify with none man that black bell's just good though I love it what would you get uh you've got some of the first 108 single barrel yeah i've been pouring stuff as we've been What's, which sitting barrel here and this is uh Barrel number 44. This is uh, 123 proof. Is this one you want to go with next? That's, oh, let's might go as well. We're talking next. about it. So this was released on, and it's funny, throwback to the first show. We never did get to the flag. Oh, But yeah. this was finished, or this was released on July 4th. That's right. Last year. A call back to Charles Nelson's birthday. I was actually in Destin, Florida at the time on a family vacation. But I was very, very happy that the first thing I did when I came back was I came to the distillery and you guys still had some of this here. And it was the first 108 barrels 
of this make that you guys are putting out on your own. I have to say, really enjoyed the cast strength of this. I've been drinking it at home, but love the cast strength. I have not opened my regular limited edition yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in full transparency, but I've loved the cast strength. So when you guys pulled out the cast strength, I was sold. Good. Well, thank you. So this is, again, the, well, one of the important things is understanding the name is Nelson's first 108. So what we did, going back to our original plan, in terms of building out the distillery and waiting four years and all that, like we talked about before, is that we knew that we'd have to try, well, we didn't know, but we figured we'd have to try to cut down the time as is one of the number one major issues in opening a whiskey distilleries. Like, how do you reduce the time to get your product to market, right? Well, what we did was we decided to put some of our new make in 30-gallon barrels and some of it in 53-gallon barrels. And the plan was to kind of put basically half into small, smaller barrels and half into standard size and then start releasing it at, at two years old and kind of blending it and mingling it together until we would sort of phase out the smaller 30-gallon barrels in favor of the 53s and and like that. But what we found was that we fortunately... uh, So the 30-gallon barrels are not cheaper than 53s, and in many cases, they're actually even more expensive. So it's a it's a difficult proposition there for, for a businessman. Well, and, and not to get us out of rabbit hole, which is always kind of fun, but there are some people that go for the 30 and the 23 and the 10 gallons to try to expedite the aging process. Is that anything that you guys thought of here, or was it more of well, just a size component it it i mean it wasn't it wasn't um like i said i mean our original plan was never really um to do just 30 gallon barrels or just smaller barrels it was again to kind of mingle them in with the 53s so that we can kind of mitigate the difference between the two and so but but what we ended up finding out was that we figured out a way to be able to reasonably not even have to use the 30 gallon barrels anymore of course at the point that we figured that out we had already filled about, as it turns out, 108 of these 30-gallon barrels in favor of all 53s moving forward. And so what we did was we took these 108 barrels and we're waiting until they're at least two years old to release the whiskey. And we're calling it Nelson's First 108, not only obviously because there's 108 of these barrels, also, and again, purely coincidence, we happen to release it 4th of July 2017, 108 years after Prohibition shut the distillery down. So the number oh, 108 kind of made some sense. <laughs> uh, and we didn't even mean to, but that's the way it turned out. So once these 108 barrels have all been dumped out and filled into bottles, that's the end of it. Everything from there on out will be all in 53-gallon barrels and at least four years old or older. And are you going to move to 750 milliliter bottles at that point? Because these are 375. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we will We will definitely be doing that. Yeah, so these are just, these are like a piece of history, um, you know, their commemorative sort of bottle. And we're basically selling these staggering releases of batches and single barrels over the next year or so until we run out. And, and at that point, we'll be releasing our full-on Greenbrier Tennessee whiskey. So is it, it won't be Nelson's 108 at that point? It'll just be Greenbrier? No, yeah, it'll be Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee whiskey at that point. The, the, the same recipe, just different barrels. Yeah, the first 108 brand, if you if you want to call it that, will effectively no longer exist. I think there's a theme going on here, and, and I don't necessarily think that's the charcoal filtering, but it's just, it does not, this one's 123 proof 61.5 ABV and 
it does not taste that way to me. I don't even feel it in my chest when I have it. It's very smooth. A little tingle on the uh, the front, but some good hints in there of you know all the stuff that you look for with a little bit of vanilla, a little bit of toffee in there. Not necessarily a bunch of butterscotch. I'm not. It's not gonna coat my tongue, but it doesn't burn. At the mm-hmm. same time, I feel it a little bit in the, the front there. It, it's just amazing to me how smooth that is. It's almost dangerous because you can yeah. sit there and have about four or five of them and then kind of get up and yeah. be a little wobbly. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I, I certainly appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I, I love hearing that. And again, this is something that ultimately was, you know, our, our distillers and production team kind of help taste these barrels and, and figure out, you know, which which ones should be meant for a single barrel to be by themselves. And then, you know, I'll make the final decision. But, you know, not every barrel tastes like this. I mean, there's a very specific and definite reason we chose the the individual single barrel. So, I mean, if so we- let me let me stop you there for a second, because mm-hmm. you're actually jogging my memory of something that I would be very angry if I left here and didn't ask you. You as, as head distiller, what are you looking for when you look at barrels and when you look for single barrels? Are you more of a mouthfeel guy? Are you, we know your nose is shot. You already told us that. So <laughs> how difficult is that in then finding um, what you're looking for because your nose is my nose is always shot because I have a kid in daycare. But what are you looking for when you're actually picking barrels and picking what should be a single barrel and what shouldn't be? I think generally my nose, uh, I kind of take good pride in that. That's one of the things that I I, I put a lot of value in the nose of a whiskey because it's kind of the first impression, right? I was joking, everybody. His nose works very well. He just doesn't smell angel share. <laughs> Call back to an earlier yeah. joke. Well, it's funny, actually. That's kind of like, you know, you can't smell your own, say, body odor, but it's like you walk into a, a dorm room, for example, and you're like, this smells like a dorm room, but you don't smell your own. You yeah. know what I mean? And that's, I'm nose blind to our production floor, but I go into a different distillery and they've got a different sort of signature fingerprint of their of their own style. But but basically, to answer your question, what I look for is I choose um, this whole process is a, a really interesting blend of art and science, uh, and each has its own merit. What I choose to look at is I, I take a lot of stock in kind of first impression, trust your gut, right? And it's very important to analyze things to the fullest extent necessary. But what I think is the most valuable way to do it is not to think about it too much. You know, I want something that's well-rounded, that has a nice nose, a nice palate, and a nice finish. I would think, I would say that my my favorite element of those three for any whiskey that I get most sort of impressed by is the finish. Because that's, you know, nose is the first impression, but the finish is what you're left with and wanting more if it's a nice finish. And so, to me, a single barrel has to have all those three elements, but I don't sit there and taste this single barrel five and six times and be like, oh, is this too, you know, you get thinking about it too much, you get in your own head and it just, things you don't, you become less confident in it. And to me, there's there's a lot of value in just like, bang, here's my gut instinct. This is what it tastes like. Here's what it hits me at first. Uh, and, and that's what I want to choose, so. And that makes sense. I mean, if you think about everything we've talked about so far, what you have done with the finishes, the sherry, the Madeira, the cognac, 
the black bell i mean the finish on the black bell i can't say enough about that and i love the cognac one too i think that one has been really nice and i'm not saying this because i'm in the room with you guys some other cognacs i've had they're really good on that first open and then you let it air out a little bit and those those finishes can kind of wear off very quickly mm -hmm. i've appreciated the fact that you know that cognac one has held up while it's actually been open mm -hmm. so that's a, a a big positive for me what other things you guys might be releasing a honey this year at some point yeah that's uh that's an interesting thing so i'd like to point out what we've got here uh it's a totally different product but what i've got a bottle of sitting here is called right on the honey it's a specialty honey spirit and shout out to the national honey board they got in touch with us probably about a year ago and so they're having their first Honey Spirit Summit here in Nashville this past October. And they said they got in touch with us, and I, and I believe it was Corsair and Nashville Craft Distillery here in town to make a Honey Spirit specifically for this Honey Spirit Summit, which they had never had before. And they said, basically, no rules. Just we'll, we'll provide you with some honey if you want. Provide, make a Honey Spirit. Do whatever you want with it. Get creative. Get weird. And so we said, great. And we have a couple distillers who have, you know, played around with, you know, mead and things like that, had a little experience with fermentation of honey, et cetera. And so your, what your we brother wants. Yeah. Here you go. <laughs> so what we did was we asked for buckwheat honey, which is a very, very interesting, very unique, very bold honey. It's like, it looks like molasses. It's black. It's dark. It's very, uh, there's almost a barnyardy aspect like you get in some sort of farmhouse or Saison ales. And that's the honey by itself. What we did was we actually took the honey, we fermented it. We didn't use any grains in this. We just fermented the honey over between 21 and 28 days. We distilled it a couple times. We put it in a, in a used whiskey barrel, and then we put some jasmine and juniper in it. So it's a real weird thing, very outside the box uh, for what we do. And then we put it in the bottle. It's uh, I, I don't know. Every time that I taste this, I get a different thing from it. Uh, it's it's just real weird. Got a slight burn on the front. It's a hundred proof. For those of you, I, I've been pouring it while Andy's been talking. We only made a couple, like uh, five cases of it, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I almost hesitate to even talk about it on here because it's not actually even available for sale anywhere. Well, it's just kind of fun that I could say that I've had it. But and and this, by the way, is totally different from the honey thing that you were talking about. So yeah. this is this is almost like a, a gin. It's it's more akin to a gin. Than but I don't even think it yeah. tastes. It doesn't taste very ginish. Uh, not me, at all. But yeah. this is one of those things where people say, "Why do you you know why do you actually have a podcast?" I'm like, "Wow, <laughs> I got to try this this stuff." And, you yeah. can't get this in the stores. Spicy and sweet at the same time yeah. is yeah. The, the best way to describe it. I, I you know, what, what I said, I get a different thing every time I try it. And, uh, but one thing, if you focus in and you just think of jasmine, right, you can kind of pick up the jasmine. And our idea was that, you know, we wanted to put the juniper to make it a little bit ginny. But like you said, you really don't get that much of the juniper at all. It's mostly the jasmine and the, and the barrel aging. So the honey is, it's, I honestly don't even know what to say about it unless you're just sitting here tasting it so again well, no i mean i i thank you guys for sharing i think you should do more of it it's yeah. kind of 
it's kind of fun. Well, we may. We'll see. Um, it's expensive. To, yeah. Is it? The honey, I don't think I mean, you should do more. <laughs> I mean, fortunately, we were given all the honey uh, to make this. But if, I mean, it's really nice, expensive honey that we got, you know. Yeah. So, I'm not sure. It, I don't know. If we were to sell it, we'd probably have to sell it for $100 just to yeah. make our money back. Um, well, distillery-only release. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is what the the honey thing that you were talking about, um, which I'm I don't know how you even knew about that, but now that we uh, TTBs everywhere, gotcha. And, yeah. and uh, <laughs> trust me, it's already made places. Yeah. So don't worry, it's there. <laughs> well, to to give you kind of the the lowdown on that, so it's it's another special cask finish, and so what happened was in it. it happened purely organically where a company called True Bee Honey out of Franklin, Tennessee asked us if they could have a used bourbon barrel to age some of their honey in. We said, sure. And so they took our used bourbon barrel, they put their honey in it for, I don't know, a couple few months. And then they said, we dumped this honey out and it was our favorite. It was really, really good. They gave us a sample of the honey and they said, do you want this barrel back? And we said, hell yeah, let's see what we can do with it. So we took this barrel that had had bourbon in it at first and then raw truby honey. And then we finished some bourbon, some already aged bourbon in the same way that we do our sherry, cognac, Madeira cask finishes, but with a raw honey cask. And it's still sitting there, you know, finishing. So we haven't released it or anything yet. But it is, uh, it's tasting pretty fantastic. And the, the really cool thing to me about this is that it's a totally just a one-off thing. It's very exciting. Um, we're going to have a really cool label for it, but I'll, I'll kind of leave that to the imagination. And, uh, and it's not, there's no honey like flavoring or, or anything like that. It's literally just raw honey that has been in a bourbon barrel with, you know, finished bourbon going back into it and picking up the essence of that. So, any other finishes then besides that honey that you're thinking? Um, of? We've got uh, a few other finishes that are pretty unique, and we'll be releasing those throughout the year. Those will be gift shop only. I don't really want to even talk much about them because they're going to be surprises, and it'll be something where we just, you know, there'll be a press release that comes out probably in March or so um, that talks about the first release and then um you know we'll we'll just basically over social media say hey here it is it's ready it's going to be in the shop tomorrow or in two days or something and you know they'll probably sell out pretty fast um which they typically do yeah and other questions that people have asked what about a rye we have uh the again time frame is uh totally up in the air but we have been uh distilling cooking and distilling rye whiskey um for about a year now on a periodical basis so what we do is we take uh one week of every quarter and we do rye whiskey mashes for that whole week so we put away you know a decent amount of of barrels um i want to say i don't know somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 barrels a year um, of rye whiskey kind of a staggered 
staggered so fills. Telling me there's a chance. Yeah, there and, is, yeah. and that's that's for that's for Greenbrier rye. Right. And we've we've done a little bit of Bell Mead rye production as well. Um, which back in the day there was a Bell Mead bourbon, a Bell Mead rye, and a Bell Mead Tennessee whiskey. But we have done some a little bit of contract production for the Bell Mead rye. Whereas the Greenbrier rye, we've done our own grain to glass. Uh, production well i guess it's not in glass yet it's in barrel but uh also back in the day there was a green briar rye and you i took have, a picture of it we actually yeah. have a poll on instagram right now and i should check this while we're while we're talking here <laughs> is i asked people what would they be more excited about the green briar rye or the green briar 52 percent to 48 percent would be more excited about the green briar rye over the whiskey that's out there. Yeah. Over over the Tennessee whiskey? The the ones that you have out in the case out there. The the eight what, what was it, eighteen ninety nine? Yep, hundred and twenty six oh, yeah. proof. Yeah. Whoever is your tour guide, you they they get deserve a raise out there because that group is having <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, they're ball. they're having a good time on the <laughs> other side of that wall there. That's one of these ones where I feel like you two should just pull the, the door open and be like, surprise, you get to be nuts <laughs> on the tour. <laughs> so there's there's good chance a rye is coming. Mm-hmm. We have the, the Greenbrier Tennessee whiskey. How far away are we from having that come out? Because this came out a now over two a year. years. So a year? Yeah. So we're, we're planning on releasing our Greenbrier Tennessee whiskey, which will be four over four years old, close to five at some point in 2019. So, Andy, have you dialed down the proof on that yet to where you want it? Or is it, uh, we'll see when we, are we going to still have the cast strength and the, the limited release or will it be kind of one? Don't know about that just yet. Yeah, because it's not fully matured yet. Um, it's kind of just one of those things where we're keeping an open mind about it and, and where it fits, it'll fit. And, uh, and we'll kind of cross that bridge when we get to it. I can't say enough about the stuff you guys have put out. I mean, I know a lot of people like to tell us we're, we're homers repping the Nashville brands, but I think it's one of those things where you guys have a heck of a story. You have the whiskey to back it up. I think one thing kind of closing in this, as you move to the Greenbrier, is that something, though, where the Bellmead brand will still be there and you will have the bourbon yeah. that is not charcoal filtered opposed to the charcoal filtered Nelson's Greenbrier, too? Yeah, so uh, so Bellmead originally was meant to be sort of like a bridge to get us to the Greenbrier brand and to get us to building our own distillery and start production in-house. However, you know, we love the Bellmead brand and, you know, we've been doing some fun things with it. It is definitely our plan to keep that brand going while we are doing contract production of it today. The ideal plan is to bring it 100% in-house as well. That won't be able to happen until we've built our second distillery uh, much larger one, but we definitely want to do a, our own production on that. Well, we can't wait to see all the things that you guys have. I'm sorry that you were just stuck with me, but I really <laughs> want to thank you guys. This was a lot of time you spent with me this afternoon, so thank you very, very much. Yeah, thanks, man. Absolutely. It's been fun. We enjoyed it. 
Thank you. Well, follow these guys on NGB Distillery at Instagram. You can find them. Also, Belmead Bourbon, Belmead BRBN on Instagram. They're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. They're on all sorts of places. Other fun things I should mention is it's not always, although you do have people, it's not uncommon to see you guys lurking on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. So, yeah. you know, every once in a while you see Charles C. Nelson has liked your post. And you're <laughs> like, oh, man, Charlie needs something to do. <laughs> but thank That's you. All him. That's uh, all make him. sure you go find that, that these guys are out there. They're actually working. They're doing that stuff. Follow us, by the way, at Bourbon Dads on Twitter, at Dads Drinking Bourbon on Facebook, at Dads Drinking Bourbon on Instagram. You can find us on Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Podknife, YouTube. It doesn't stop. And you can also find us on your other favorite podcast provider. Chances are we're there. Please leave us a five-star review. Tell us you like us. If you don't like us, please tell me in person. Send me a direct message. I am happy to help you. Zeke says he loves you all. He's sorry he's not here. Guys, anything you want to say before we go out? Love you, Zeke. Yeah, we missed you. <laughs> Maybe one time. You guys <laughs> give me a hug. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.